this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Don't be ridiculous. Welcome, friends, to Perfect Stranger Things. Today, Steve and I cover the flea and the acrobat. This is episode five. The end of this episode is an excerpt of our coverage of E.T., the extraterrestrial. I should mention that if you have feedback, you can send that to P-S-T at baldmove.com. That's P is in perfect, S is in stranger, T is in things at baldmove.com. And now a few words from the perfect Stranger Things oracle, Mr. Wilford Brimley. You got a story in here. This is the damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sit right here and talk about it. Now we'll talk all day if you want it. It's the right thing to do. Steve, have you ever used a compass? Um, like, I had a uh, survival knife, and the there was a compass on the handle. That's the coolest compass, for sure, because it's probably like a Bowie knife. Yeah, yeah, and it's like the kind that you could unscrew, and then there would be things mm. in the handle. Oh, yeah, like, like a little matches. wire. <laughs> yeah, a wire in case you needed to wire something. Matches, uh, fish hooks. I think it was a snake bite kit. <laughs> See, it's really cool. And you think that the compass is going to be cool as well. But for all the kids at home that have never played with a compass before, let me tell you how it works. You get it out. It wobbles and spins. And then you say, this sucks. And you put it back. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, here's the thing. And I don't know about your experience. Uh, I didn't really need to be anywhere when I was a kid. <laughs> And anywhere I needed to be, uh, I usually had a ride. <laughs> there were very few. I'm going to go ahead and say there were zero instances because I owned a compass. There were zero instances where I said, I should probably go grab that compass before I leave. I think that ours was the first generation where it really didn't matter whether you knew which direction you were going. It was like northwest, south. It, does, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, I people to this day will be like, well, you head north. And I'm like, what am I, a pioneer? Am I going on the Oregon Trail? Which McDonald's do I take a left at? Like, I don't even. The thing is. is and it's the, such an antiquated notion that someone gives you directions anyway. Like, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow my GPS. And all I need you to do is tell me, like, do I need to go? Which building? Yeah. Like, which Well, every building? now and again, you do find out that someone lives in a place where the GPS will often get it wrong. Right. And you just need to know, hey, just so you know, that road doesn't exist. Yeah, and that's when you go, well, maybe if Big Brother doesn't care about you, why should I? (laughs) (laughs) 
I was thinking that the context of the compass makes you think it's going to be awesome because the knife is cool. And I don't know what the, you're supposed to use the wire for, but I mean, come on. And You'll know when you get there. Hook, <laughs> hooks, a snake bite kit. I mean, this yeah, all. What kind of life am I leading? <laughs> Am I hopping trains? Also, it's, you know, it's associated with, like, soldiers and pioneers. It was was a survival knife for a kid who went nowhere ever. (laughs) So you think that the compass is cool just because of the context. But if you've ever tried to use a compass, it generally doesn't work. I I mean, Dustin's, Dustin's important to the show. And the compass element was important to the show because it is also, you know, sort of this kid fantasy fulfillment that finally sure. a, a, compass a compass is going to work. I know? mean, they're, they're they're loaded up with everything that we would have thought we would have ever needed, right? They have a slingshot and a compass. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else you need. It's the first time in the history of the world where a compass actually helped a kid. Right. And that's what and this really, show does, yeah. you know? And it was partly direction, but mostly just the idea that there was something wrong. <laughs> you know, there was something wrong with the compass. The compass was broken. Well, the, it's like, yeah, look, who would the ever most know? unrealistic thing about this show is that a compass was acting weird, and the <laughs> yeah, kid actually exactly right. knew that it was acting weird. Yeah, this isn't how this thing is supposed to work. And like, it works. <laughs> <laughs> I assumed that a compass was just as fake as a snake bite kit. That if I got bit by a snake, I'd open it up and it would mm-hmm. just be full of skittles or something. And I'm like, how is this going to help me? <laughs> So what was in the snake bite kit, I wonder? Uh, the snake bite kit had a... Uh, so the, it was like sea monkeys or something? <laughs> it had a razor. Oh, whoa. Which, yeah, a razor. And then it had, um, I think, it like a twine for like a tourniquet. Jeez. And then the then the, the case itself would act as a suctioning device. Mm-hmm. So, this so I knew... This is just like, a recipe for... This is like a suicide kit. In other words. Dude, I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, dude, there's no way. So I'm like, you want me to cut X's over the bite holes of this snake? Uh, I'm gonna die. And I'm like, so that's why I'm like, so because that and that's the best part, right? Like the best part about it is like, hey kid, here's a tool that you can use so you can tromp freely through snake infested areas and you'll be fine and then oh by the way though you're gonna have to make incisions on yourself and suck out the poison i'm like you know what this is like the best case for abstinence right like this is what's gonna happen i'm going to stay away from anywhere where there may be snakes because i don't want to go through this effort should i encounter one this is why they invented video games i'm pretty sure yeah it's like look you, do things, the options. Don't the options are snakes or donkey kong those are your options. Yeah, I'll go against the snakes and pitfall. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I've identified six plot lines, and so there's the Goocher is not in play today. Mm-hmm. And the first storyline is number two. This is Joyce. All right. So here's my synopsis. Joyce tries to explain her encounter with the Upside Down to Lonnie. Lonnie tells her that it's all in her head. Jonathan returns and argues with Lonnie. Lonnie orders Jonathan to stop feeding into Joyce's delusions and to take down his evil dead poster. The next day, Joyce is pressured to go to Will's funeral. She has a flashback memory to Will drawing a wizard. Lonnie starts talking about litigation. Then she finds a flyer for a law firm in Lonnie's bag. 
and shouts at him to get out. Steve, remember how we were talking before about, you know, I was asking you if you thought Winona Ryder was a good actor. Mm -hmm. I think this episode turned me around on that. Okay. She's really good. She's really nailing this. So far, her grief has manifested in like a pretty single note kind of way. And in this episode, when she blows up at Lonnie, I was thinking, oh, no, you got this. This is good. Yeah. So where are you? Where's your writer, your Winona writer meter at right now? I'm ride or die, man. You ride or die. I think it's amazing how many of these episodes are like turning episodes. Like everything's like this works so well in a series as opposed to a, a film, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think you can have so many of these like mini cinematic moments um, that you would only get a handful of in a film, but like in a series, you you can do it per episode and uh, how everything starts to unravel, but then reconnect it in a new way is, is, is kind of a fascinating sequence. So with Joyce, we have almost a parallel storyline because once Lonnie shows up, she's not really interacting much with Jonathan anymore. We don't see her interact with uh, Hopper until the end of the episode. This is almost sort of like a... Uh, little parallel track with Lonnie and Joyce, but it's doing a lot to help with the other plot lines. So for example, she does this little flashback where she sees Will drawing. And at the same time, Hopper is like noticing the kid drawings on the walls and in, in the, in Hawkins lab. Right. And so that little detail tells part of the story. It tells you whoever drew those things in Hawkins lab this was not Will Byers. We we right. see how Will draws. The drawing on the Hawkins lab wall, this is someone much younger. So there's that little part of the story. And the other thing that I thought was really great in this episode is that when you see her and Lonnie interact, it kind of tells you a lot more about Jonathan, right? Like Jonathan's really messed up because his family life is shit, and now you get to see what it was like for him. Right. That And that's, and that's, what's really nice about the inter intertwining of all these characters, how you reveal a lot without having to, to be explicit about it necessarily. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you're, it's moving the plot along, it's moving the narrative along, but at the same time, you're doing character development on a character that's not even there. Any Nancy and parent relationship also helps us get a little bit of a sense of the brother and all that as well. So it's like, it all sort of ties together. This was an episode where I was thinking, it's funny, you know, I, of course, we're all sort of ride or die at this point for Winona, but when Lonnie shows up, probably for the first two thirds of the episode, you're thinking, this guy actually has some good points. Like, he's reasonable. Like, in any other situation, this guy has the most reasonable position. Right. And so you're thinking, well, maybe, I don't trust this guy, this guy's horrible, but... Like he's got some good points here, right? And even if we can say we know better because we've we've seen what's going on, um, he hasn't, and so and everything he says, like, okay, yeah, well, this would be the perspective. This yeah. would be, and, and um, and so and and by doing so, by kind of reminding you that that would be the logical perspective from anybody, he seems logical like anybody. So that it helps disarm you for any shadiness because you're like okay well maybe maybe this is maybe the biggest uh antagonistic move he's gonna have is to be the voice of reason in a in an unreasonable situation right which was i think initially hopper's uh role with her mm -hmm. and then this episode we kind of see hopper 
go down the rabbit trail. Yeah. Go down definitely. the rabbit hole or whatever. Yeah, this is definitely the hopper coming to coming to I mean he's already been there, right? I mean and and there needed to be a skepticism uh just in order to you know you you you're not going to just accept this at, at face value and then also we talked about uh, the last episode in terms of now there's an emotional investment of sorts that uh that drives him in a right. different way yeah yeah and roll the die steve it's another two which we've already covered we have a six six is karen wheeler and family it's a very short storyline karen Helps her family get ready for a funeral. That's it. Yeah. No, and I think this scene is an amazing one. I made a special note about this one because it really has, um, this whole sequence has the, what you would normally see in say like an 80s type film, like a, whether it was a coming of age sort of film or, you know, kind of a teen romance. This would be your prom scene. Sure, but it's for a funeral. But it's for a funeral. And so it's a really interesting uh, element of like the like these are the this is not supposed to be like the gravity really I think is 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 felt because this is supposed to be the time when you're getting people ready for their prom their homecoming dance mm-hmm. or some sort of social and like those are that's when you're supposed to be working on somebody's hair that's when you're supposed to be helping somebody with their tie it wasn't supposed right. to be for this which is gonna foreshadow you know later in this series for sure now. This I wasn't sure whether or not to include this storyline because it's not, I don't know if it's really a storyline as much of it more just a single scene. But I I'm gonna make a little confession here. I was expecting more Karen, and I think I I think I got a little crush on Karen here. Is this right? Yeah, I I don't know what it is. I don't know what it what's going on. But when I found out that that was it, you know, I'm right, making my notes and I realized, well, should I even include this? And I was like, I got to include Karen. She's my girl. Yeah. Well, no, Karen, she she does a lot with with little. And I and yeah, I, I definitely can because I was kind of like, who? Karen's doing all right. What is she with? What is she with her husband for? <laughs> and they talk a little bit about this in this episode. It's like, yeah, why are Karen and Ted together? Now, here's the other thing about this. Ted makes me laugh. Like I just looking at that guy makes me laugh. <laughs> Everything he says makes me laugh. And so I think these two should actually have a little chemistry going on. So I'm a little sad, a little sad that they're not fulfilling each other. Well, that's <laughs> that in and of itself is sad. Well, I mean, look, like I said, I love the show. It's a great first season. I think the one criticism I have is I need more Karen. I just need more Karen, Steve. <laughs> You're going to start going down some IMDb rabbit holes of your own. <laughs> what else has Karen been in? I'm rolling it. All right. Number one, again, is Hopper. Here's my synopsis. Hopper sneaks into Hawkins' labs, punches another fool, and steals an ID badge. By the way, if we're just going to go from like what television has taught us, if you want to break into a government building, it is so easy. Yeah, it is because no one's expecting it. I think we learned that like during all of the uh, uh, the what's going on with all the different you know Senate and House hearings throughout the last mm-hmm. several years. <laughs> and it's like everyone's like, oh well, if you don't do this, then we're going to hold you in contempt, and then what they started doing was going like okay and then they're like well we don't 
actually do anything when that happens. <laughs> and so there was always this threat of of government power, and it was like, well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna give you a subpoena. Like, okay, well, I'm not gonna follow it. It's like, but you have to. Like, mm, I don't think you do. And then they then it just goes away. So I think that's kind of how government buildings really are, as according to this narrative and others. Is you want to get in, just get in. They just ex- assume that you wouldn't. If I was going to go by what television has taught me, one punch will knock a guy out, just one. There's always going to be a guy with an ID badge. Or I can use the guy's sort of limp hand to get in. Yeah, that's good. When it's a hand reader, yeah. And uh, if I need to dress up like someone, I pull him into a closet. It'll take me all of a second and a half to change into their clothing. Get your clothes off. Get their clothes off. And keep in mind, they're not helping. <laughs> and then and then no one questions it. Once you got the uniform, it's like, it's not like I've never seen this guy before. It's that you must belong here. Right. And you nice make up nice a name. That. That's the other thing. You make up a name. You say, you know, Gary sent me. Yeah. And I start wondering about my own uh, co-workers. I'm like, how will... Do I know these people? Do I, I mean, how do I know that there aren't people breaking in all the time? And I was like, yeah, whatever. They probably are. Your boss is probably not even employed by by the organization. Their badge doesn't match their face, and I'm just totally fine with it. (laughs) All right. I I will continue. All right. Uh, Once in the restricted area, Hopper calls for Will. He discovers children's art on the walls. He takes the elevator down and discovers the gate. Then one of the goons catches up to him and subdues him. He wakes up the next day in his trailer. Then he tosses the place and discovers a bug in the light fixture. Powell and Callahan show up and inform Hopper that two hunters have gone missing. Uh, They note that he is acting crazy. Then he calls his ex-wife, hangs up when he hears a baby crying on the other end. Finally, he goes to Joyce's house and unscrews every bulb in the place. Then he tells her that Will's body was a fake. I'm loving the I'm loving Hopper. I'm loving Hopper. Yeah, no doubt. I think I love this um parallel, right? Like now we've there we we now see Hopper and uh Joyce as simpatico even before they get together in this uh episode because he's maniacally tearing his house apart. Yeah. I mean that is such a great parallel. And to anyone to, else, yeah, and to and to anyone else, you know, to the people that don't know his story, he looks crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I think Powell even calls it out afterwards. He's like, I think he's been spending too much time with, with Joyce Byers. So you're right; these two are mirroring one another again. The musical yeah, I- score behind all of Hopper's scenes are absolutely perfect. I noticed it as soon as the show started. It's like, I'm back in the 80s. This makes me feel like I'm watching some crime drama in the 80s. It's got the sort of synthesizer and the drums. And then when he's tossing his own apartment, there's like this almost, I don't know, like quiet riot drum beat going on in the background. Yeah. They're really killing it with the score in this show. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's definitely some key moments of the music plays such a, like I said, for the nostalgia and just to to get the right tone. I noted that when he pulls the phone out of the wall for the second time, I thought, oh, definitively, this guy doesn't care about his life. Like, this guy's completely putting every everything else on hold until he solves the case. 
And just to give you a sense, he's totally unmoored by this situation. Uh, he's going to go it alone. He's not calling for backup. He tells the, the cops he's going to handle the hunters going missing all by himself. And immediately he goes to Joyce, right? This guy's just totally unmoored. Yeah, he's all about this thing now. He's all in. They're both crazy with a purpose. You know, there's there's a linkage in terms of both have tragedies with, with children. And, and so they're just trying to muddle through life through the best that they can. And they've obviously probably got some self-destructive tendencies. But here they are. They're like, okay, here's one thing we know is that we're both crazy, but we're not crazy. Is there any way to bottle some of that passion that they both have and like give a little bit to Ted? I just really want to see Karen get a just just a tiny little taste of that in her. You life. want Karen? You want Karen to to be satisfied? I that's what I really care about here. Yes, this is all coming down. Like this whole this whole show is just the real victim in this is uh, Karen's libido. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Um, the other thing I, I noted about the Hopper narrative is that when he finds out where the hunters went missing, he says Merkwood. He's like, Markwood. So he's starting to use that Lord of the Rings language that the kids were using. Right. And I thought, that's kind of great because he has more in common at this point with these kids than he does with the fellow cops. That's how off the deep end he is at this point. Right. And I mean, we'll get there once you roll there. But yeah, I mean, the kids are off on their own because they're like, we can't. We don't trust the adults with this information because it'll be dismissed. Mm-hmm. And so now that's in the same spot. He's all, yeah. Same with thing that's... with, with Jonathan and Nancy, same thing with the kids. They, they all are feeling like, well, no one's going to believe us. So we have to just see this through our, ourselves. Hopper. That's exactly what's happening with Hopper. Well, and what it interesting, what it does in a way it, it, it writes a lot of um, like classic, horror movie wrongs where you're always like well why are you investigating this yourself why aren't you getting the authorities mm-hmm. involved and when mm-hmm. you think about it it's like well because the ghostbusters aren't real and if you're going to go to the police what are they going to tell you no one's going to help you um and like we talked we saw that kind of with poltergeist right is that like okay well craig t nelson says i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to these paranormal experts because i gotta get somebody and then they're like uh, we don't actually do this yeah, yeah. Because, these are the because these are the experts that should know something right because they're experts in theory, because one, most people don't ever get to them. And two, it's like, it's uh, what kind of, what kind of, I mean, they can only research so much. They're not, they're not getting extra funding for these things because nothing, uh, you know, there's no government group that's, that's buying into it. Right. So it's like they can specialize, but that only goes into the theoretical. So that's kind of where we've got here. So, and this is where I think their teacher becomes a valuable resource, you know, throughout these episodes, because, he understands the theories and so he's willing to engage him from a from a scientific perspective but not necessarily like practical application perspective but from a that we can we can talk about it you know and i can you know so he's he's a resource but he's not he's not someone that's going to be able to truly help you outside of just presenting information that you, then you have to go and execute on number three we got mike 11 lucas and dustin the boys try to make sense of what they heard Will say over the radio. Elle introduces the phrase upside down, and the boys bust out the D&D manual and read about the Veil of Shadows. The next day, the boys attend the funeral. 
Then they corner Mr. Clark and ask about other dimensions, multiple worlds, and how to get to the Upside Down. Mr. Clark uses the metaphor of a flea to talk about beings that are able to sidestep usual dimensional limitations. Well, basically, there are parallel universes, just like our world, but just infinite variations of it. Which means there's a world out there where none of this tragic stuff ever happened. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. Oh. We were thinking of more of an evil dimension, like the Veil of Shadows. You know the Veil of Shadows? Echo of the material plane where necrotic and shadow magic. Yeah, exactly. If that did exist, a place like the Veil of Shadows, how would we travel there? Theoretically. Well... Picture an acrobat standing on a tightrope. Now, the tightrope is our dimension, and our dimension has rules. You can move forwards or backwards. But what if right next to our acrobat, there is a flea? Now, the flea can also travel back and forth, just like the acrobat, right? Right. Here's where things get really interesting. The flea can also travel this way, along the side of the rope. He can even go underneath the rope. Upside down. Exactly. Then they go back to Mike's place and ask Eleven about the location of the gate to no avail. Then Dustin discovers that the magnetic field in Hawkins is acting screwy. They decide to use their compasses to find the gate. Eleven uses her Dark Phoenix powers to screw up the compasses, and Lucas calls her out for it. She reveals that she knows that there is a gate and that it's not safe. Lucas and Mike fight, and Eleven uses the Force to send Lucas flying. He conks his head, and when he wakes up, Elle is gone. And Lucas storms off angry. I think this is the episode that really establishes these kids as the key players in this narrative. Right. You know, what are the kids doing in this episode? The kids are looking for the gate. The kids are figuring out what the Upside Down is. Ella's is the one with the information, and Jonathan and Joyce are actually out hunting the beast, right? Right. The kids are the kids are doing root cause analysis. Yeah. They're they're like, we gotta go to the source of this, right? So you have, like I said, you have Jonathan and Nancy that are focused on, hey, there's a beast. Uh, it's m- almost revenge, right? Like it's that's kind of what seems to be guiding them at this point. Joyce is trying to just maintain. She knows she's seen her son. She's seen her son in the wall, so she's she's not really executing she's just kind of crying for help she's like i just need she just needs someone to believe her essentially it's kind of where she's at she's like i don't know what i'm doing i don't know what to do um hopper is the closest thing in some ways to the kids in terms of he's trying to piece it all together right so he's he's like okay something's up i'm i'm shedding my skepticism and where the kids are in the advantage that they have is that they don't have they didn't have that skepticism as much it was like they're their imaginations are on on full tilt so when you tell them hey look there's a veil of shadows and there's uh you know there's a sub dimension and that's where will is and it's like all right okay that's kind of the world i live in so yeah and that's pretty typical with uh, with horror and sci-fi and fantasy lit as well is that it's like animals and children are a little bit less connected to like the world of logic mm mm-hmm. mhm and so they're more attuned to what, whether it's the spiritual realm or, or at least the access to it, right? Like right. they, they're not there to really waste their time trying to figure out does this make sense or not. 
they're trying to figure out, well, what do we do with this? Also, in order to understand what's going on here, you you kind of need a frame of reference. And no one no one's experienced anything like this before. So the fact that they're as children they're using like D&D and Lord of the Rings as a frame of reference because that's what kids do, you know? That that that's how they process the world. They filter it through the stories that they're into. So for them to like, you know, name it the upside down or call it Mirkwood, they have a frame of reference. Now their frame of reference is like fantasy literature, but they're open to encountering something that's along those lines in a way that an adult would not be open to it. Yeah, I think I, th- I think the Lucas character is is super important in I mean, obviously throughout the show, but mm-hmm. in this particular episode, because he, you know, I mean, he's a kid. He's he's just like them, and he's on this this mission, and he's sold out to this mission. But he's uh, he's kind of the voice of of reason. What did I tell you? She's been playing us from the beginning. That's not true. She helped us find Will. Find Will. Find Will. Where is he then? Huh? I don't see him. Yeah, you know what I mean. No, I actually don't. Just think about it, Mike. She could have just told us where the upside down was right away, but she didn't. She just made us run around like headless chickens. Calm down. She used us, all of us. She helped just enough so she could get what she wants, food and a bed. She's like a stray dog. Screw you, Lucas. No, screw you, Mike. You're blind, blind because you like that a girl's not grossed out by you. But wake up, man. Wake the hell up. In many ways, he kind of represents the voice of the adult in that group. Right. And not at the expense of the mission, to so, so to speak. Right? He feels like, hey, the mission does need to go on. He does believe in this mission. It's just that he's he's concerned that the mechanism, in, in this case, L, is a bigger issue. And, yeah, I mean, it, it, he's the one who he's challenging some of the motivations of Mike. And, yeah, and, he and just, he's he, right. He, he's totally right. He is right. Yeah. In the same way that Lonnie was right, maybe he wasn't maybe he wasn't well intended. But I mean, he wasn't wrong when he when he brought out those criticisms, and and Lucas is keeps on bringing up all the right things. And his his motivation may be that he doesn't like L because L's disrupting their their squad, or or Mike is exactly. Uh, and yeah, but he, he's totally right that Mike is giving L special treatment because he likes her. He's totally right that she's messing up their mission. Um. So I mean, you could argue with sort of how he presents the evidence. But he's not wrong. He's totally not well, wrong. And then he gets he gets a full throttling of <laughs> of his evidence. Exactly. Right. I mean, and it, because I think that's an important moment when he gets thrown. I mean, we're on L's side, but we also at this point when that happens, you're like, what do they have here? What is I mean, what Lucas, is she capable of? I mean, of? at this point, we think Lucas is kind of lucky she didn't snap his neck on accident. Right. Because that, that's the part of it is like what we know what she's capable of, but what we don't know is what she can control. Yes, that's right. Dustin is kind of pointing out that uh, Jennifer Hayes is crying at Will's <laughs> funeral. Right. This is that's perfect. It's perfect. It's like, yeah, this is all real adult shit that you're going through. And yet. Man, if we, if if Will ever knew that this girl was crying at his funeral, well, it even even it even says this is wait till we tell Will, <laughs> and and I think because I think that there is I, what I I do that that line is so 
and that sequence in the funeral is so key because they 100% believe that they can save him. That Will is, yeah. is out there. Well, and, and that that... the other thing about the boys is that out of everyone, they have definitive proof. I mean, this episode, Hopper actually sees the gateway. So, right. so he's got that. But they have L, and L is magic. I mean, there's no right. question about it. For L to exist, magic has to exist yeah. to some degree. Everything, right? else, so, so everything else is reasonable, right? Yeah. So for them, this is like the funeral is like having to go to church yeah, or go to school. Right. It's like, look, I mean, I like the idea that like how much of what we do as kids is, you know, as kids, we pretended to be something all the time. Whether it was at church, yeah. we pretended to be better than we were. Whether it was school, sometimes we pretended to be better students than we were. I mean, it was like. Oh, just so with our friends, we, we always pretend to be cooler than we were, right? So Right. I mean, you're constantly in a level of performance. Uh, acting. That's yeah. right. I wrote down per- performative uh, with the funeral. Uh, it seems like uh, you got a few different characters in this uh, episode. They want life to go on as usual, which means performing all the usual functions that you normally do. And of course, all of the characters that we really care about are going through massive trauma right now. Well, I would also want to throw in just a couple of like uh, imagery images of the uh, you know L going into the um, into the water. You know, very altered states. Uh, yeah. Reminded me of that film. Um, also reminded me a bit of when Luke is going into his uh, like medical tank. Yeah, after, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so there, and it, almost the color too of of the outfit she was wearing was very reminiscent of the sort of beige motif that you saw a lot with uh, Luke in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Um, right. You know, and, and with her force powers, there was a lot of interesting connections there. And. Yeah, I also noted a little bit of uh, Doctor X from the X Men. Mm. Oh, with the on the well, everything connected to the head. And everything. Yeah, yeah, she's got the whole thing connected to the head, and it's a little bit what she's doing is a little bit like Cerebro. It's like mm-hmm. you know she's going out to some astral plane to find someone and see what's going on inside their head. Um, since we're talking about it, I'm just gonna break a rule and jump down to. Number five here. Uh, Dr. Brenner sits with his call bank employees and hears the radio recording of Will's voice. Brenner notes that Joyce was there when it happened. He sends a goon to examine Mr. Clark's radio. In Eleven's flashback, Dr. Brenner sends her into a holding tank and uses her X-Men powers to spy on a Russian. She projects herself to an astral plane and relays a conversation in Russian through the PA system. This is how we learn how the the creature was first discovered. L encountered it on the astral plane. For Dr. Brenner, this is completely unexpected. So this is sort of the chief reveal of the series because it combines the storyline of how does this girl with magical powers relate to this creature who's killing people in Hawkins? And we finally find out how these two are related, right? And we find out that, you know, of course, it, it was the mad scientists. They opened up the gate somehow. And I like the idea of kind of an inadvertence to it, right? Um, that might not have been the initial goal and discovery. At that oh, this point. is all Cold War. Right. The initial inclination was to do some Cold War 80s shit. 
And of course, you're using all the technology at your disposal to do that. And this is, of course, science fiction. But as science usually does, you know, you're looking for one thing and you discover something else entirely. Yeah, you invent silly putty. Yeah, <laughs> you you invent the super soaker. <laughs> does that do anything to you in terms of uh, your feelings towards Doctor Brenner? I did note his total surprise. I noted like he was sort of like thrilled and fascinated when he heard the monster's voice, mm-hmm. the monster's noises or whatever. It was like, of course, if you're a scientist, you're going to follow that, right? Right. Of course, you're, if you're curious at all, you're going to find out what is this? I have no idea what this is. I've got to find out more about this. Now, of course, he's totally evil with how he relates to L, right so right and that hasn't changed right? i mean like even even if he was originally not trying to discover this monster he's already demonstrated himself to be a merciless callous yeah these guys uh, killed individual. benny i mean th- yeah so we we know who the bad guys are but i like my bad guys to have some kind of believable motivation and the idea that that's like well now we've got like now you can you could almost justify whatever whatever your original plan was. This is even more justifiable to say all bets are off, however, by by any means necessary, because of the fact that, hey, we just stumbled onto maybe the greatest discovery in the history of mankind. Yeah, we sh- <laughs> we would be we would not be doing humanity justice if we just let this go or didn't exhaust every opportunity to explore this. In Hawkins, Indiana. In Hawkins, Indiana. That's right. I'm going to roll it. Jonathan and Nancy. I thought this was maybe the best of the episode. Jonathan is pissed that his father is back in town. After arguing with Lonnie, he decides to leave Joyce out of the loop. He has mapped out the sightings of the creature and tells Nancy he wants to kill it. Against Nancy's protest, Jonathan steals Lonnie's gun. Later that day, Steve Harrington shows up at Nancy's house to apologize. She sends him away. She finds Jonathan failing at target practice. They talk about their parents, and Nancy shoots a beer can on her first try. As they walk through the woods, they argue about Nancy's attraction to popularity and normalcy. They walk into the night and discover a dying deer. Something drags the deer into the trees. Then Nancy discovers a mini gateway through a tree stump. She climbs through and into the upside down. Here's my question to you, Steve. Yeah. Are we seeing the first glimpse of Steve Harrington's good side? Or is Steve Harrington just a little bit horny? Why do these things have to be mutually exclusive? Well, I think the the intentions matter. Because if he shows up at Nancy's place to apologize... Because he truly feels bad about the way he'd been dealing with the whole Barb situation. Then I think, yeah, this guy's actually a good guy. It took him a while to come around, but he's actually a good guy. But he could be motivated by other reasons. Well, he's a teenage boy, so no matter what he does, he's horny. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's... that's. I, <laughs> we're just going to have to... If we, if we want to talk about authenticity at all with these characters... He could feel really bad, and that's not going to change the fact that at that moment he's horny. So to be a teenage boy, you're saying... Is to be horny. Is to be horny. So if you're going to try to be a good person, 
what you're really trying to do is to be the best horny person you can be. Yes. I think you just solved <laughs> you just solved adolescence, Steve. And the Clinton administration. <laughs> You can use the same uh, use the same logic that says, "Look, be the best horny person you can be." Oh, good night. Uh, yeah, Bill Clinton had long past puberty. Uh, I mean, let's let's uh, let's not let him off the hook. Uh, some great stuff in this in these sequences. Um, I totally agree. This is this is my. I mean, uh, just great probably favorite in an episode full of great character development yeah. this was pretty captivating i all the stuff with the gun is is fascinating the the evil dead thing i think is important because obviously that evil dead poster was very important in the beginning of this episode it was in the background during a very yeah uh, and lonnie calls it out right so and then lonnie specifically calls it out right well and, so, to, and like you know on two levels lonnie calls it out to jonathan but at the same time, Lonnie's sort of pointing to the audience, right? Right. And so you get your Evil Dead parallel um, when, you know, reversal, so to speak. I mean, have you seen Evil Dead? Not yet, but it's on the list. It's definitely on the list. Um, there is a, a infamous sequence in uh, Evil Dead where a, a woman is assaulted by a tree. And uh, in this episode, Nancy penetrates a tree. Interesting. Sort mm. of reversing that imagery, and so she, and she to get into this other realm. And I think that that's kind of that to me was probably one of the bigger tie-ins of the of the two uh, concepts for me, anyway. I mean, I'm sure I love it. Here's why I love that. I love that these showrunners can do multiple things they can walk and chew gum because what i wrote down was that nancy and steve are in mirkwood right so we have at least two lord of the rings uh, references we have uh, riddles in the dark that comes from the hobbit that dustin says that and then we have hopper say mirkwood well in the lord of the rings there's an evil tree that sucks the hobbits and kind of strangles them inside of its roots mm. So I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is totally Lord of the Rings. But instead of that, you know, Nancy actually goes under the roots into the Upside Down. But now that you said that about Evil Dead, it's like, yeah, of course. Both can be true at the same time. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and that, and, and there's other, like, kind of Evil Dead parallels in terms of just, like, tearing up the houses. And, and um, that's definitely a sequence that might be more prevalent in evil dead too so i think it i mean i think we ought to point people to cocoons of horror where we will be covering evil dead yeah we may want to decide if we want to go through evil dead one two and then of course army of darkness just to keep going with it because once you pop you just can't stop it's groovy all right so wherever you search for podcasts search for cocoons of horror that's also a Stephen anthony joint we will cover shows like Evil Dead will also cover shows like The Breakfast Club. This was a big Breakfast Club storyline for me. You had that argument between Jonathan and Nancy in the woods, sort of mm, calling okay, so out the classism. Yeah, yeah, the, the the sort of the popularity asymmetry. And for me, I think Nancy very, very much aligns to Molly Ringwald, right? Right, right. 
And I wrote down that Jonathan is kind of like a combination between Ali Sheedy and Judd Nelson. Mm, okay. I can see that. Like he's not exactly Judd Nelson just because he's not like totally aggressive. Right. And he's not yeah, he's not this dangerous type character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, exactly. He's a little bit more like Ali Sheedy in that way. But again, you see you've already seen how much of a jerk his dad is. And that's very, very much like Breakfast Club. Right. And so you have these two kids, so they kind of like each other. There's kind of this like mutual respect and there might be some attraction there. But it's not just going to get swept under the rug. They're going to have to talk about their basically their caste system in, in high school. And I thought it was a great conversation that was very, very breathless. I guess I saw this girl, you know, trying to be someone else. But for that moment, it was like you were alone or you thought you were. And, you know, you could just be yourself. That is such bullshit. What? I am not trying to be someone else. Just because I'm dating Steve and you don't you like what? him. Forget it. I just thought it was a good picture. He's actually a good guy. Okay. Yesterday, with the camera, he's not like that at all. He was just being protective. Yeah, that's one word for it. Oh, and I guess what you did was okay? No, I, I never said that. He had every right to be pissed Okay, off. all right. Does that mean I have to like him? No. Listen, don't take it so personally, okay? I don't like most people. He's in the vast majority. You know, I was actually starting to think that you were okay. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking, Jonathan Byers. Maybe he's not the pretentious creep everyone says he is. Oh, I was just starting to think you were okay. I was thinking, Nancy Wheeler, she's not just another suburban girl who thinks she's rebelling by doing exactly what every other suburban girl does until that phase passes and they marry some boring one-time jock who now works sales and they live out a perfectly boring little life at the end of a cul-de-sac, exactly like their parents, who they thought were so depressing. But now, hey, they get it. Yeah, Breakfast Club does show up. A lot of scenes like that that, that feel reminiscent of that. And, and that's what's a, what I think is what the showrunners do so well is that we've talked about like all the different science fiction and horror tropes, but then to be able to bring in so many of these like Hughes esque tropes that are also effective, but like just, it's just really well combined. And I think it adds to everything. Right. I mean, like I think the horrific elements add to the, dramatic elements and then vice versa right because like now you're you're just that much more invested in these characters well that's right Um, and i think that the horror a lot of the horror has to do with science fiction in this show but there's this you equally care about sort of the that horror of puberty or mm -hmm. the horror of the opposite sex rejecting you or or the horror that that people find out you're kind of a freak right you know that all of those horrors of childhood are part of this show well, and the idea of, of loss, um, you know, and like going back to the the Lucas uh, Mike issue is like, look, they've already lost Will. They've lost mm. Will physically. Um, the idea that Mike is being distracted by L is like it, it. It's the fear of another loss, and and that's growing up does that, right? Like these things won't always work out, and that's one thing about like the. Uh, I don't think it's any accident that in the funeral. Um, 
uh, Mike's wearing a green jacket. Everybody's wearing black. Mike's wearing a dark green jacket. Cut to a scene a little bit later. Uh, Will is drawing a wizard with oh, green fireballs. Yeah, yeah, nice. Because nice. he doesn't have his, he's missing his other crayons. Right. Um, and Dustin is wearing a reversible jacket, which everybody else is wearing like again black. And but for whatever reason, his collar is turned, and you can see color underneath it and that just to me was like sort of a representative of kind of the upside down situation nice. right like like and what i thought was interesting is okay he's reversed his jacket to fit in with this particular situation mm-hmm. so that every, so now he can blend in and everything's black because that's the way it's supposed to be but underneath it is is this color that sort of pops through and that's a really interesting thing for for i think for dustin in particular right is this again this idea that like he's so vibrant he's so upbeat and like kind of navigating into an upside down of just life to some degree mm-hmm. right like it, it's that and again the upside down being almost this you know if you want to look at it as, as like you talk about puberty and the idea that like okay well there's another world you go into and you're going to lose a lot of color you're going to lose a lot of of the vibrance that maybe was was youth yeah just all these little tie-ins that just make well that you know, was an, part of that conversation with between jonathan and nancy it's like you know he he says basically you're just like your mom you think you're rebelling you're rebelling the same way everyone else at school rebels so you're just a conformist anyway and you're going to grow up and you're going to conform to the suburban life just like your mom did and boy that just it's like perfect target practice right there because he nails her in a, probably her most insecure feeling right so i love that i love that i love that J- dustin is probably on that cusp between a colorful youth and like just around the corner it's like the real world's gonna happen and it's just gonna suck all of the color out of your life <laughs> exactly yeah uh, the, the monsters of adulthood yes that's right. So the final song in this episode was a song called "Nocturnal Me." Uh, did you note it? Did you? Did you? Had you heard? I did it? not. I did not note it. I I looked it up because I had never heard it before. It was by Echo and the Bunnymen. Oh yeah, Echo and the Bunnymen. Of you course. know Echo. Yeah. I I was thinking. I I don't think I've ever heard Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, if, uh, yeah, I know uh, several of their songs. I think the one that comes to mind the most is Echo and the Bunnymen do a do a cover of people are strange and that's the song that uh, opens up lost boys interesting it's not uh, the doors nice, nice nice it's not the doors it's it's echoing the Bunnymen. and of course filmmakers will often do that because the radio play song is so much more expensive right mm-hmm. so you usually find a cover if you want to use a song because it's less expensive but then of course stranger things comes along and says yeah, let's let's use this one. Let's use Echo and the Bunnymen because that will recall this movie from our youth. I like it. Oh, Jesus, man, that's a Gucci. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. If you've been paying attention to Stranger Things, you might have noticed the use of electricity and phones and kids on bicycles and walkie-talkies and blonde wigs and moving things with your mind and scientists in white vans. These are all homages to Steven Spielberg's classic film, The Extraterrestrial. Here's an excerpt of Steve and I's conversation about that movie. Oh, hey, by the way, I don't know if you noticed the the little girl that Elliot kisses. Oh, yeah. Under siege. She was the under siege. I was like looking. I was like, I know this person from somewhere. And I looked her up and then I was immediately regretted it. Oh, I don't want to know that. (laughs) Elliot could get it. (laughs) Well, he had to stand on top of a portly fellow to do it. But (laughs) believe me, he was just resourceful, man. All right, let's talk about the E.T. drunk scene, shall we? Oh, yeah. What a, what a great idea. I mean, he doesn't just, like, accidentally. like he He's does, just pounding Coors. He's, there's a scene. He, I mean, he de- he definitely chugs the first one, right? It could just be he's thirsty. But then he kind of passes out. It you know pans over to Elliot, who's at school. And then he goes back to the kitchen, and he's going for more. So he really wants to strap it on. And he has to know he's psychically connected to Elliot, right? Right. Well, yeah, we assume so. I mean, I don't know. There's so much about E.T. that we assume is, is great. <laughs> like, we just assume because he's like, he's like, oh, well, he seems sweet. And he goes, wah, wah. I'm like, how, how bad could he be? And you're like, you don't know if this thing is just like he was all about deforestation. Dude, <laughs> given a chance, will get hammer drunk on like a Tuesday morning. Good Lord. Uh, sweet tooth up the wazoo and you know look he, he likes to get down he likes to get freaky dresses up like a woman on occasion now I mean, are we lives, certain that this is et has a gender because i'm i think that spielberg when they interviewed him he, he said that et was more plant-like than anything else mm. i wasn't i wasn't feeling that at all but elliot goes out of his way to say that he's a he's a, a boy and I was like, I don't know how he knows that so confidently. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to know. Yeah, there's a deleted scene. I don't, that just needs to stay deleted. Um, Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like, because he just sort of, like, his bottom part just sort of, like, melts over his feet. But at some point, he may, like, have to pull those up to do something. Well, that, and that was, that was absolutely true. And, you know, when Gertie says, I don't like his feet, 
I was yeah. with her on that. I don't oh, like yeah. his feet either. No, that like was that was all. definitely yeah. <laughs> it was a preach it sister moment in the house for sure when that happened. Um, but yeah, he has to go to the bathroom at some point, and at that point, I think there's a revelation. It's of some sort. And man, and that guy when he's out there just like looking around, and and you know we never see him like a like torso up, and he sees those Reese's pieces. He just picks one up and eats it. You don't know that that's not alien scat. <laughs> Bro.